At this time, the children are dismissed for Children's Church. And I'll invite you to find Mark chapter 16 in your Bibles. It will be projected up here, but you might like to follow along in your own Bible as well. Mark chapter 16. This is our passage this year, this Easter Sunday. Mark 16, 1 through 8. Mark 16, 1 through 8 is the culmination of the 15 chapters that have led up to this. It's the final portion of the book of Mark. It's also a culmination for us of five and a half years of returning to the book of Mark every Easter and every Christmas. We complete it today. It's been a good five and a half years. What I hope to show you in this passage is that the resurrection requires a response. That's my big idea for you this morning. The resurrection requires a response. So, that means that you're on the hook now. You're about to hear from God's word about the resurrection. And I'm telling you that the resurrection requires some response from you and from me. So, you've picked up the phone. You've opened the door. Now, there's no turning back. You will be required to respond to what you hear from God's word this morning. You're going to see that it's impossible to truly confront the historic reality of the resurrection and walk away unchanged from that. Before we get into it, let's pray together. Would you bow with me? Father, we have been singing to you and praying to you and giving to you, and now we sit quietly to receive and to listen to your word. Would you please fill us with your Holy Spirit and enable us to receive your word with its full transformative power. You know each heart here, where each person here stands with you. We submit ourselves to you and to your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying with me. Mark 16, starting at verse 1, the first thing you're going to see is that these people did not anticipate Jesus' resurrection. They did not see it coming. They did not anticipate that Jesus would be raised from the dead. Let's read the first three verses. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on, the first day of the week, When the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So let's just pause right here. These women clearly did not expect Jesus to have been raised from the dead. They were clearly expecting a tomb that was still still sealed shut, and they were expecting Jesus' body to still be laying there dead. They were going to anoint it with spices. To properly care for it. It would be something like, in modern terms, if Jesus had been buried in our cemetery a couple of days ago, and early in the morning, the women came to bring flowers to decorate it, and they expected for Jesus' body to lay dead beneath the ground, and for it to be sealed over, covered over, just like anyone would expect when a loved one had died a few days ago, and the funeral had already been carried out. Now the question, if you've been with us as we've gone through Mark, that you must be asking yourself is, why didn't they anticipate it? 
Do you remember that Jesus told them several times that this was going to happen? Do you guys remember that? Our study has been stretched out over five and a half years, so maybe you don't. He did. He told them several times exactly what was going to happen. He told them how he was going to die. He's going to be arrested. He was going to be mocked, mistreated. He's going to be killed. And then three days later, he was going to come back. He told them that. And yet they just did not see it coming still somehow. I'll read you one of those instances. This is from Mark chapter 10, verse 33 through 34. Jesus, they're approaching Jerusalem and Jesus is talking to his followers and he says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man, that's how he referred to himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. All this has already taken place. But that's not all he said to them. And after three days, he will rise. So why weren't all of Jesus' followers gathered together by the tomb waiting to see it happen? Why weren't they all in a line like hipsters at the Apple store waiting To see the tomb somehow open and Jesus somehow come out alive. Why weren't they at least thinking maybe it's going to happen? It seems like the women on their way that they would be saying, I know it seems like a long shot because it defies everything we know about how nature works, but maybe he is going to rise from the dead. It can't hurt to go check. But no, they bought the spices. There's no indication that they thought he was going to be alive and that that tomb was going to be empty. They went there to anoint him. So why? Well, the only answer that makes any sense is that they're the same as we are. And the notion of resurrection, of a human being being killed, brutally so, and dead for several days, and then coming back to life, is crazy. And they just thought that they had misunderstood what Jesus said about rising again. He maybe was talking metaphorically or something, but human beings do not rise from the dead after they've been dead several days. It doesn't happen. You know, we tend to look back on ancient peoples as if they were some kind of primitive people who were just gullible. They believe anything, but they had all the same skepticism that we do. And they had every reason to think that he was going to still be dead just like we would. The disciples at this point are nowhere to be found. These women are the ones who are coming to anoint him. The disciples are all in hiding and mourning and really shutting down the Jesus movement to go home. They were scraping the Jesus fish off the back of their car. They were changing their social media bio because everything's different now. The one they thought was the Christ is dead. They're getting ready to go back to their fishing job. They're getting ready to go back to collecting taxes, back to normal life. But what happens next, as we know, changed everything. We pick back up in verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. 
And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So they enter the tomb, the stone's been rolled away. Jesus' body is nowhere to be found. There's a mysterious messenger in a white robe. It doesn't say here that he's an angel, but it sure sounds like the way angels tend to show up in the Bible. And he delivers this message to them. Sort of a two-fold message. One, he's not here. Two, go tell the disciples to go ahead and proceed to Galilee to continue on the mission of Jesus Christ. Now you notice, I mean, we've made a big deal out of the resurrection because it is a big deal, but this messenger really doesn't dwell on it all that much. He doesn't give them any lengthy explanation as to what happened. He doesn't say to them, this is the place of Jesus' resurrection. You will build a shrine here. God's people forevermore will make pilgrimages here to this spot of Jesus' resurrection. This is the place where it happened. You will, in years to come, gather chickens' eggs and dye them. You'll hide eggs and find eggs and eat deviled eggs from here on out because Jesus has been raised. He doesn't institute anything related to the resurrection. He doesn't make anything special about the spot. He doesn't even wax poetic like you see in the book of Revelation. There's no singing or anything here. He is the equivalent of an angelic sticky note that Jesus left for the people who would show up first. The women get to the tomb and there's a sticky note on the rock and it says, I'm not dead anymore. Go get the guys and tell them to meet me in Galilee. And that's basically what it is. The angel says, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. This, you found the right tomb. You didn't stumble into the wrong tomb. You're in the right place. He's risen. He's not here. You can look and see where they laid him. And you can see that he's not there anymore. Now, compose yourselves. Because there's work to be done. He is alive. The Jesus movement continues. The kingdom of God continues. His purposes were not thwarted by the cross. They were fulfilled by the cross. Go get the disciples. He goes before them to Galilee. Let's move forward. Galilee is where the next step would take place. Mark doesn't detail it. Matthew does in Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through 20. It says, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. There's always those few. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As awesome as the resurrection is, as awesome as it was, it's not the resurrection that's so special. It's the fact that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. In Galilee, the scared disciples who were in hiding, who were shutting things down, ready to go home, became bold apostles, ready to die for the message of Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, you see them. They did go forward in obedience. 
they did go forward to make disciples of all nations, baptizing new disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to observe everything that Jesus commanded them. And so it spread and spread and spread. And these new disciples took on the same task as they learned to observe all that Christ had commanded them. They proceeded to make new disciples. And so it has continued on and on, generation and generation, all the way to here we stand, us today, all because Jesus is alive, because the resurrection is true, because he was raised from the dead. I remember when I was little, going on a field trip to the Omnimax Theater at Discovery Place. And if you've been to the Omnimax Theater, you have IMAX, which is a really large screen, but then you have Omnimax, which actually is like a dome to where if you look back even sort of behind you, the screen is there. It was huge. As a little kid especially, it was overwhelming. And I remember the program that we saw there it was a space program. It had to do with NASA. It was like a little documentary about NASA. And I remember the scene when the shuttle launched, and it had those great big rocket boosters, I think they're called, you know, the things that, that just explode with unbelievable power to thrust this thing up into the air. And then eventually they sort of fall off and back to the earth and the space shuttle proceeds on its mission. And I remember how big that felt. You've seen the footage of the fire and the the smoke billowing out from the bottom of these things. They're 17 stories tall, bursting with 6.6 million pounds of thrust. Enough heat, I read, for 87,000 homes to be heated for a day in the winter. 28, 28 miles in two minutes. I didn't do any calculating, but I would think that that would be like getting from here to Oakboro in two minutes. That's how intense these things explode with this energy. And then after they disconnect with the shuttle, they coast for another like 13 miles just on the momentum of the explosion of these rockets. Now, I tell you all that because that's kind of like what the resurrection was and continues to be. The resurrection is such an explosive event in human history that it it not only propelled the scared disciples into being bold apostles, messengers with the gospel, it created the church. You read through the book of Acts, this was the message they came back to over and over again. Jesus was killed for our sins and he came back from the grave. The resurrection started all this and it continues today. So the message of the resurrection isn't come back and dwell in the empty tomb. It's onward. It's response. This is is my point. We must not merely celebrate the resurrection. We must respond to it. If you're merely celebrating the resurrection, you don't understand the resurrection. We must not merely celebrate it. We must respond to it. We must not memorialize Jesus. We must trust and follow Jesus. I'm going to name three people, and I want you to think about what they have in common. Christopher Columbus, George Washington, Martin Luther King Jr. What do these three men have in common? Well, they all accomplished great things, and they all have a day dedicated to them. They all have like a bank holiday where some people, state workers, get off of work. Many people mistakenly lump Jesus in as just another one of these kind of guys. 
Christopher Columbus, George Washington, Martin Luther King Jr., Jesus Christ, they all accomplished some pretty cool things. It's appropriate that we at least one day a year stop and pay attention to them and think about them or, or at least use them as a good reason to get off of work. It's good to remember him, just like it's good to remember those men. It's good to commemorate what they did in past tense terms. But there's one important difference between Jesus and those three men. Jesus is alive. Those three men, as great as they are, they are dead. They're still in their tombs. Jesus is the only man ever in human history to come back from the dead in resurrection and still be alive, ascend into the heavens in power, validating everything that he said, everything he claimed to be. We don't commemorate him. We don't try to preserve the memory of him. We dedicate our lives to him as our living Lord. I'm really glad that you guys are here. It's important that you're here. It's right that you're here. I'm so glad that you chose to be here. But being here really isn't the important part. It's what you're going to do from here. It's what's next. It's how you're going to respond to what you've heard from God's word right now. The women were to respond in this passage by going and telling the disciples, he is alive, get going to Galilee because the mission continues. The disciples in Galilee were to respond in obedience to what we know as the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations. We are to respond by repenting of our sins, turning from living our lives for our own sake, believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior, the Lord devoting our lives to him, being baptized in public proclamation of our faith and allegiance to Jesus Christ, learning to observe all that Jesus had commanded, and carrying the movement on forward in evangelism and discipleship. That's the only valid response to the resurrection. Either, I don't believe it, it can't possibly be true, it's too bizarre. If that's what you believe, then go home and watch Netflix And pursue as much comfort and entertainment as you possibly can because that's all there is. And one day your life too will end and hope ends with it. But if you believe this, that Jesus was raised from the dead, this is the only valid response. Total and complete surrender to him. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. An apathetic response makes no sense in the face of Jesus' resurrection. It's an invalid. Take that option off the table. You may not go home and ignore it. You either have to reject it or completely give yourself over to it. Apathy is not an option. Let this Easter be the Easter when you respond to the resurrection. Maybe for the first time. Maybe not for the first time. Maybe in a deeper way. Let this be the Easter that you repent of your sins and turn toward Jesus for forgiveness. Let this be the Easter that you believe in him, that you entrust yourself to him. Let this be the Easter that you decide to declare publicly in baptism, yes, I believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Let this be the Easter that you devote yourself to learning to observe all that he commanded. Commanded. 
You can't say Jesus is my Savior without also saying he's my Lord. He didn't give the option to do that. I think we American Christians like to think we can do that. He's my Savior, but I'm going to live my life my way. I'm going to completely ignore all of his commands. Again, no, that's not a valid option. Savior and Lord or nothing. Those are the options. Let this be the Easter that we determine to carry the movement forward in evangelism and discipleship as a church. Because the resurrection cannot be celebrated and then put into a Tupperware container in our attics until next year. The resurrection requires response from each and every one of us. No matter who you are, where you come from, or what's going on in your life, or what your history is with the church, or how dedicated you've been, the resurrection requires a response. So I'll leave you with this question. How will you respond? Let's pray. Father, would you please enable each and every one of us to respond rightly to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? with full and total surrender to him as our Lord and Savior. May each person in here receive the forgiveness he purchased with such a costly sacrifice on the cross. May each and every person in here experience the new life, the new birth that comes from placing their faith and allegiance in Jesus. May we each walk out of here committed to him as our Lord, living for him, let there be none, no, not even one apathetic response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Please bring this about through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.